Welcome to today's episode of Let Me Be Brief. I am your co-host, Andy Rieger of J. Rieger & Co. Joined, hey, as always, by one of my good buddies, Matt Basinger. Matt requested today we drink horse feathers, so we're drinking J. Rieger & Co. based horse feathers right now. It's right awesome. out of the Keurig machine. Right out of the Keurig machine. <laughs> we're in the Let It Fly Media Studios. We're joined by Jackie Wise of M-Prize Bank. Today's guest, we've already been having fun with her. Carmeletta Williams, or better known as Dr. Karma. She is the CEO of the Black Archives of Mid-America. Dr. Karma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, so let's get started with the, the easiest question of the day. What is the Black Archives of Mid-America? What do you all do? The Black Archives is an amazing repository of black history, life, and culture art, uh, music, religion, history. It's the building of black America. Uh, it's the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City, but there is not another one anyplace else. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and this is just, this is probably a regional question. What is Mid-America? Horace Peterson, who founded, he actually started collecting for the Black Archives when he was in middle school, but he founded the archives in 1974. And he identified all of those places that are in the Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, from um, Ohio to Colorado and from Iowa. I don't think it went north of Iowa, okay. on south. Yep. And then, again, question that does next matter, is Texas the Midwest? Um, no. Okay. I agree. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah, you no. need to be nicer. <laughs> Texas is south. Talk to us about what your job specifically is. My job is to, according to our mission statement, collect, preserve, share, and educate people about African-American life and culture. Um, I, I consider myself a literary historian. That's what I'm trained in. That's what my PhD is. Um, but... Educating people is forefront. I want people to know the truth. We don't do revisionist history. We tell the truth about life for black people in this country. So I have done a development where we really bring forward history of an old original part of Kansas City's history, have done a ton of my own research. Are you guys taking the history and then documenting it by really putting it together in 20-page write-ups about certain historical events, historical figures, or are you more verbal with it, but you have all of the actual historical items, news clips, and you're just telling it in a verbal? What is sort of the approach to putting the history out there and making people really more easily have it accessible to them? Well, we have several exhibition halls. Okay. Um, we have partnered with Equal Justice Initiative, so we have the only lynching exhibition outside of Alabama. We also have uh, an original home where an enslaved woman lived. Uh, we have With My Eyes No Longer Blind, which was taken from a Langston Hughes poem, uh, and that is the permanent exhibit about black life in Kansas City. We have the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Women's professional basketball started in Kansas City. 
And then uh, we have a letter. I had a man show up. I didn't know him telling me that. And I told him, I'm writing a museum. I need proof. And he had proof. He had boxes of proof. And included in that proof was a letter from the NBA saying, oh, what a wonderful idea. Let us know how that goes. <laughs> well, a woman who worked for the WBA here in Kansas City went to work for the NBA. Next thing you know, there's a WNBA. I have tried writing the, the NBA and the WNBA several times. They've never responded. Uh, I would think they would be proud. It's kind of like Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Absolutely. You know, that they should be proud of that. We also have Heritage Hall, and uh, it's where, um, under generous donations from the Kaufman Foundation and Country Club Bank, and I'm sure we'll include Emprise yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bank, we um, have a beautiful space where people can come and do their genealogical research. They call us every day, can you find my great-grandfather? And I have to say no. You know, we don't have the staff for that. But now I can say uh, we don't have the staff for that, but you can come and we'll show you how to wow. do it. So it sounds like you're talking. There are a couple different, uh, call it facilities or exhibitions in Kansas City that folks can go and interact with. Is the Black Archives a service that is, you talked about the Negro Leagues Museum here in town. Are you all doing research in conjunction with other organizations or is most of this housed in a museum here in Kansas City or in the facilities that you all run and operate? We have a beautiful building. It's uh, 1722 East 17th Terrace, and we literally have thousands and thousands and thousands of documents, pictures, and artifacts there. Uh, we have a research and reading room where researchers can and have come from all over the world, from China and Switzerland and England and uh, South America and all over the country, where they tell us what they're interested in. We pull the documents for them. We house the Alvin Ailey collection. Uh, all of his papers and documents are there. We have 1,600 books that were donated huh. to us uh, when a physician died and willed them to us. We, it's an amazing place. Uh, then we are, have a database. So right now we're working to scan all of those documents, which is hard because we're a nonprofit and we don't have a lot of money, uh, but to scan them into our database so people can go online and do research. So uh, one of the biggest things about this seems like museums around... Uh, we'll just stick with the country because um, getting too far out is harder to find everything. But it would seem like museums around the country with whatever exhibits that they have at certain periods of time in their rolling exhibit schedules would love to participate and be partners with you and showcase some of the historical items that you have in the archive's possession. Is that something that you see very often or are you highly protective and you try to keep it really in-house? Uh, we have we consider ourselves the community's partner, uh, and that's not just our buzzword. That's that's our commitment, and we have actually loaned exhibits out to different galleries and museums um, around the area and throughout the country. We um, have done taken exhibitions to uh, Big Red One, you know, over in Kansas and at hospitals and uh, community centers and other museums who want to have it. Primarily people approach us on, in February <laughs> for right. Black History Month, but uh, we're open to that all year. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about some of the sponsorships that you all have, and, and this is largely my own ignorance, but this is a nonprofit organization that you're working with, right? As far as the the day-to-day -day ops staff, like how many folks do you all work alongside? And I think the bigger question that I want to get to is how do you all keep lights on, right? How do you how do you keep moving things forward? You said that 
money is oftentimes an issue for organizations either of, of our size or uh, so Andy always calls me out for not actually asking a very descript question. I just talk and I say, please respond. <laughs> um, but let's just go with... But you're uh, asking about money. This is exciting. I this am. Is, this I is am. progress yeah. with you. So, um, yeah, let, let's, let's start there. How do you all... How are you funded? Well, we are a nonprofit, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we can operate without money. We live in a building that's owned by the city. Mm-hmm. We have a 50-year lease with them, mm-hmm. a very generous lease. So they keep the upkeep of the building... Um, done. We have to raise money for uh, everything else, for payroll, for um, projects, for um, exhibits, all of that we have to raise ourselves. And we've had some very generous uh, people who have helped us Mm -hmm. with those projects. But, you know, it's a day-to-day. I spend um, 75% of my day trying to figure out where to get money from. Mm. Do you all have is is monthly donors or large one-time gifts from you know wealthy individuals? Is that the primary means for raising money, or do you all do large events to bring people into the archives? Uh, what's the mixture of of how all that comes in? February nineteenth of this year, we will be having our annual fundraiser huh? in Pearson Auditorium on the UMKC campus, and UMKC has been a very generous partner with us, but we still have to pay for the luncheon uh, and that kind of thing. That's our major fundraiser. We do have community uh, organizations like the Kauffman Foundation that has been uh, very generous with us. Some local banks have been very generous with us, but um, along with um, some state funding, Mm -hmm. we get some state funding, city funding. Uh, The city's been very generous. Um, County has uh, given us their uh, first donation. So I'm very proud of that. They said, oh, you weren't registered. And I'm like, I haven't been here that long, and I didn't understand (laughs) that that's why we weren't getting money. Um, So, you know, it's a constant hustle. But there are people who recognize the importance of of the work that we're doing, of preserving this history. Uh, And they've been uh, generous to us. And and we want them to be acknowledged for that. There's other things that they could be doing with their money. So we really appreciate their support of the Black Archives. I feel like... There are two, this is grossly oversimplified, but two main aspects of there's this huge part of your operation, which is finding old historical documentation and, and preserving, right? That's a big part of what you do. The other piece is educating of what we do with that information. And I feel like maybe this is me being a 36-year-old white dude, but that conversation has been more prevalent over the course of the last couple of years. And so what what are the goals as far as how we take what we have preserved and make sure that we can educate folks so that this is known information and not just preserved information? Well, we partner with people. Kansas City Public Library, uh, Link, uh, have partnered with us. And every year we put out a Black History Month calendar. Mm -hmm. Now, the purpose of the calendar is more than just what the date is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it focuses on uh, important important, uh, in quotes, uh, but black folks who have left a mark in Kansas City. And we're expanding that so that... um, in the building itself in our exhibitions that we're looking at ordinary people too and what those folks have done. Education is prime because people don't know the history. And so we wanna make sure that they understand the history, that they know what happened here. We don't do revisionist history, we just tell the truth. Uh, In fact, I created a t-shirt that has a line through revisionist history and says, tell the truth. Uh, And that's what we do. And the history is so vast. 
and there's so many aspects in African-American culture that uh, it takes a lot of training. We have, uh, we've been very fortunate to get some VISTA volunteers, and one of the things that they're going to do is to help us write study guides. We have a lot of school groups who come in, and so we have, uh, we take them on tours, and then we do programs with them. And so now we're creating some study guides so that they can have something hard and fast to take with them. Also, it makes it easier for the teachers. If I give you a turnkey study guide, you don't have to do that research yourself. We've already done it for you. So that eliminates any excuses for not talking about African-American life and history. So you, you talked about, we talked about the word preserving, and we, we utilize that a lot. Let's move away from the philosophical version of preserving, and let's move to the physical form of preserving. What sort of measures are you guys taking where you're storing this? What are some cool features that you're able to share? If any of it's top secret, don't worry about it. But, you know, how, how is, uh, to the average listener that's never really been in uh, archives of a museum, they don't get it. How do you guys view actually preserving this so that 100 years from now, whoever the CEO is of the organization has all of the same exact documents that you have access to today and some over the next 100 years? Uh, yeah, because it'll be the next one. <laughs> I will be ashes by then. You know, none of it is a secret. We, uh, when clothing comes to us, uniforms and those kinds of things, we freeze them first to make sure that we kill all of the bugs or anything uh -huh. in there. We have, we're moving now um, with these thousands of documents. Most of them are in corrugated boxes. So we are digitizing them so that they will be in the computer system, but also we're moving them to asset-free boxes so that they can be preserved. You can't preserve um, pictures or you can't documents that are in frames. So we've taken them out of frames and then we're putting them in uh, mylar and other um, uh, papers that will preserve them and then we have them in locked files. So, so is the goal that everything is eventually, other than like clothing, mm -hmm. you know, which obviously needs to be on display for someone to really understand it, but they can see a picture and get it at least, is the idea that everything, and, and this is sort of a futuristic looking question with historic relics in general, Everything is digital unless it has to be physical. Is that kind of the way that preservationists are looking at really making sure that history stays and it doesn't disintegrate? Digital makes it accessible so that, so that our researchers in Sweden and in China can access that without physically coming in the building. But there's something magical about seeing that document mm -hmm. and being able to touch it. So when people come in, we put white gloves on them, put them in the research and reading room and bring the documents out to them. We also have them sign a waiver yeah. uh, and count so that nothing disappears. But there is something important about being able to actually see that. We have the Emancipation Proclamation for the State of Missouri. Uh, it's digitized, but also there's just something magical about seeing that document. Uh, so we do them both. We do them both. We want it accessible to people anywhere, uh, but we also want those people who need that. I'm a repository rat. You know, I love going into libraries and sitting down and just pulling out books and see what's there. So I know the beauty in that, and so we have that, and we're restoring that. So if Andy and I want to come and experience this, I mean, can, can we show up any day? Do we have to make an appointment? Can I show up and say, I want to see the Missouri Emancipation Document? Or do we have to kind of, how, how does that 
You work. can. We're open Monday through Friday um, from 9 to 5. Okay. Uh, we're open Saturdays by appointments. But we do hope that people who want to see these documents will make an appointment because we don't have uh, an extensive staff. So people have to um, structure their day so yeah. that they can spend some time with you. And so, and probably my last brass tacks question, uh, you know, is you all have staff members, but are you all largely volunteer based? Do you have folks who are coming in to help digitize things if folks want to get involved with the preservation of some of the important documents that you all are putting together? How can they? Or, even, can they, or even in, I believe some yeah. museums have even been using like college interns yeah. who are needing some form of historical credits mm -hmm. or whatnot. We, we do all of that. Okay. Uh, so we have college interns and, and uh, college students who are working on library sciences yeah. and those kind of archival sciences. Uh, so they come in and they do a semester. We have people from the community that mm. come in and volunteer a few hours. We have some regular volunteers that are there every week, every wow. single week, and help us. They know the system now. We have one young woman who comes in every single day. Wow. And uh, she's just a master at, at digitization. Wow. Uh, so we need those people because we can't afford to hire, yeah. you know, those folks. So we appreciate all yeah. the volunteers. How many years until you believe everything is digitized that you have in your possession? Well, now? You, you know what? I've been in this job a little over three years. And one of my board members, I took her on a tour of the archives. And she said, oh, Dr. Karma, we can't live long enough to straighten this place out. <laughs> and uh, I took her back. And she's going, like, I just can't believe it. So uh, I think that it will happen, and it will happen probably while I'm still at the helm, I think. Uh, I don't know how long that will be. But uh, it's moving, and it's moving uh, fast because we have those people who really want to see those documents at the Black Archives Preserved, and they want them to be in some kind of form so people can see them. And every day we have some people come in to give us more. Uh, and usually they bring a couple of volunteers with them. They drop it off and say, okay, we'll come back and help you digitize this. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a woman who's coming to bring us all the documents from a social club, a black social club. We had the um, cemetery records from Lincoln Cemetery, the black cemetery, were donated to the black archives. So we still have to get those digitized, but they are in the building. Well, Dr. Carmel, we have all sorts of things we could keep talking about, but this is Let Me Be Brief, so we can't do that here. <laughs> Um, I have one more question for you. Aside from work, right, what is the coolest thing that you've ever done? Um, you know, there's so many. One is walking a woven bridge in Ghana. I stepped out on it, the bridge swooped, uh, and I stepped back yep. <laughs> and uh, walked back down the mountain. And a really old man, I don't know where he came from, really old man said, oh, so you are a chicken. <laughs> uh, and I am a chicken. You know, I walked the Great Wall of China. Yeah. That I wasn't afraid of. It was solid. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and there's so many. I've stood in the uh, door of no return mm. and looked out and saw where my ancestors were taken from the country and shipped out. Mm. So, uh, And I've seen my great-grandson born. He weighed one pound, six ounces. Wow. And now he weighs 13 pounds. So, you know, I've witnessed so many miracles and so many beautiful yeah. things in my life. Well, I'm so grateful you shared some of them with us uh, on behalf of Let It Fly Media, Emprise Bank, Jay Rieger & Co. Distillery, 
and SwellSpark, uh, I'm grateful for your time. Uh, I need to come out and see what y'all are doing and uh, hope for your continued growth and success here in Kansas City. Please come, visit, visit often, bring people with you. 1722 East 17th Terrace, we're in the historic 18th and Vine District. And as Bob Kendrick with Negro Leagues Baseball Museum says, there is no deeper concentration of black culture than there. So please come. Coffee is on me. We have a coffee shop and a gift shop. So Deal. Thanks, come. Dr. Carmine. Thank you.